0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. In the year 2072, as our world reels from climate chaos, there is one beacon of hope Pura. A sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetria Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image. But beneath the facade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice: loyalty or truth, preservation or revelation. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death comes an electrifying new series, The Last City. Starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado, and Maury Sterling, prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wandry app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for an exclusive experience, join Wandry Plus to binge all episodes early and ad free. The future of Pura awaits.
1: Welcome, listeners. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kai. For those of you who are returning, hello. Turn up your volume, open your mind, and hear Gap Year. Written by Justina Robson. Voiced by Maura Quirk. A made in partnership with XPRIZE. Shh! At 4.58 a.m. on June 28, 2020, the passengers on board ANA Flight 008, en route from Tokyo to San Francisco, are cruising at an altitude of 37,000 feet, approximately 1,500 nautical miles off the west coast of the United States. A small bump, otherwise noted as a barely perceptible bout of turbulence, passes Flight 008 through a temporary wrinkle in the local region of space-time. What these passengers will soon find out as they descend into SFO is that the wrinkle has transported them 20 years into the future and the year is now 2040. This is the story of the passenger in seat 28K I woke up feeling weird. The alert chime
2: thing was beeping. I tightened my lap belt, looked out the window at the clouds, so white against the morning blue like piled sugar. We were skimming them, the wings flickering through the cotton candy as we turned. I was starving. Three glasses of wine had made sure I didn't wake up for breakfast. It had felt so luxurious to fly and fly, drinking wine, eating dinner, watching movies. And at the other end, everything waiting for me was making me nervous, so I was putting it off as hard as possible. The flight attendant was preparing for landing, checking belts, lights. I wanted to ask her for water, but I'd have to wait. She looked strange as she passed, her smile nervous, something ashen about her, like she was shocked. We are beginning our final descent. Please return to your seats and make sure your bags are safely stowed. The message ran away with itself, stumbling. Ensure all phones, tablets and laptops have switched off. When we have landed, please remain seated with belts on until the captain turns off the sign. I started to feel queasy, probably the wine again, and looked out of my window, but grey clouds hid everything except a glimpse of the wing. The metal was dashed with water, a faint light winking through the mist to show the rest of the wing still existed. I took out my phone and turned it off. To my right, someone muttered about no signal. At least there was no turbulence. I can't stand that shit. Up, down, like you're going to die. If I could make it through the airport without trouble, I'd be in a hotel room soon, able to get myself organised. I'd read my messages, phone my parents, do some damage-limitation exercises with James and bastard Erica who were still stuck back in Tokyo. I'd get my itinerary prepped and my journal updated. It'd be fine. I was fine on my own. I'd finish the trip my way, over to New York, meet my aunt, take a nice few days doing nothing on the Jersey Shore, and then go home. Today, I just had to get to the hotel. Somewhere on board, a baby was yelling. My ears popped a couple of times with a sound like crackling paper. I stuffed all the blankets and pillow and magazine into the back of the seat in front of me and felt around for my shoes. Outside the window, the sun was bright over the sea. I was surprised by how green everything was. I thought San Francisco would have been mostly grey concrete with its jaunty red bridge and some skyscrapers. But the airport stood out jutting into the water in a sandy-coloured cross studded with white, flanked by glassy buildings. Everything else was green. It was nothing like Tokyo. Uneasy mutterings came from behind me. I heard, ''What is this? Something wrong with the glass?'' As we closed on the ground, I saw a huge airliner parked off to the side of the main strip. It was curvy, broad, like a manta ray, I kept looking at it until it went out of sight and we touched down. A nervous cheer went up. Well, you know you're okay now when you're down on the ground, I thought. Just get to the hotel. That weird plane must be a new model or something. I just never saw one before. Yeah, they were servicing it or something. People, though they looked a bit odd, like big, big people. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain seated. We taxied in but parked short of the terminal and waited as people huffed and made small moaning sounds of stretching and impatience. A bus finally took us to the main building. A really nice bus, with comfortable seats and these weird luggage racks that had belts on them which moved the heavy pieces around all by themselves into careful, corralled lines... I was so impressed. I'd seen some neat things in Japan and they were all about the space saving. But this was badass for just an airport bus and cabin bags. We, the passengers, looked at each other and remarked and laughed a little bit, nervously. Somehow we'd become a we for a moment. I felt it and thought it was something I should write down if it didn't sound so stupid and portentous. I wanted to get inside the building so I could see my mail. I got my phone out and took a photo of the luggage rack. We passed under another fish-like plane. Nobody had a signal. They held us inside in some kind of first-class lounge. There were planters everywhere, dripping with foliage. The seats were plush. Everything was clean. The air conditioning smelled incredibly fresh. I really noticed it all after the stuffiness of the plane, but it seemed particularly vivid, like being drowned in a health smoothie. I looked around for a power outlet and started to fumble for my converter, but I didn't see anywhere to plug in. At the front of the room, the cabin crew were standing, talking to officials in vests. One of them laughed, not like at something funny, but hysterically. Then a woman in a blue vest with the words San Francisco International Airport on it stood up and told us what was going on. I keyed up a photo of my mother as she'd come to wave me off on the first leg of the journey months ago in Heathrow. She's smiling bravely because we'd just had a fight on the way in that lasted all the way to the check-in. I wanted to extend my flights to stop off in Alaska, and she'd been furious because I'd be late back for the start of my first year at university. It wasn't the deal, and this was costing an arm and a leg. Now it was going to set me back even more, as if the student loans were enough, and would James and Erica be going too, and what did their parents think of it, and blah, blah, blah. I said my life wasn't worth living if I had to have one moment of fun and then pay for it for the next 40 years with misery and boring jobs and going nowhere. And she said, what, like me and your dad did, to pay for this? And we were ready to kill each other. She texted every day. Most of the time, I didn't even reply. 20-year time slip. Of course it was some bullshit. Probably not true. How could it be? In front, some of the half-wits from business class were blustering and shouting, demanding answers and explanations. Further back, a woman started crying and the baby set off again. Nervous chatter broke out. But I didn't want to meet someone's eye. I wanted one of those texts from home. I queued up the last one from yesterday, before the flight left. Yesterday. It was marked yesterday. I mean, not even. Less than 18 hours ago. Weather is awful. Dog had to go to vet, ear infection. Will cost fortune. Grandma says put it down, but I can't. Hope you're doing well in Japan. Please send photos when you can. have put £50 in your account. Love. XXO. XXO. Yesterday. Today. It was a few hours ago. Hours. Expert assistants are being assigned to aid you through the next couple of days. Family and friends are being notified of your arrival. You will be issued with standard lenses as soon as they arrive and rooms at the airport hotels are being made available to you at no charge for the next two days. Meanwhile, please make yourselves comfortable. Low battery. I looked up, feeling dread and through the wall of glass saw the huge white Manta plane being pushed out onto the taxiway by a yellow service truck. Further down the terminal's right side, two more of them stood idle in the sunshine. In front of them, our plane looked tiny, decrepit, primordial, like something a dinosaur in a movie would be eating. I need to go home. If it really is 2040... Then the dog is dead, my sister is 38, I don't know where they are, and they've spent 20 years believing I'm dead because what else would they think? I have no place at university, and I have nowhere to go. Everyone I know is grown up with mortgages and kids and jobs, even bastard Erica. Maybe she married James, they were so into each other in bloody Tokyo, so it can't be right... All around me I heard people saying this kind of thing, repeating it over and over. But it's too late. The bit of me that wasn't jabbering to itself knew already that it was true. I felt it in my bones. The next few hours passed in a blur. People alternated, talking, crying and staring into the distance. Some of them left the room and didn't come back... And by the way they did it, I thought they'd set off on their own, couldn't wait. But I was afraid of doing that, even though I wanted to run. Wouldn't some policemen stop them? How could people from the past be let loose when they're obviously the result of some freak accident that has to be investigated? Is that what they heard at the front, and now they're running away from being test subjects? I don't know, San Francisco. San Francisco. I was going to rely on the hotel's airport bus and then make my plans, look at maps, but I can't now. I don't know anyone here, and I slept most of the flight, and don't even see the guy from the seat next to mine or the woman from the aisle. I look for the flight attendant, but she's sitting on her suitcase near the door, stabbing her phone with her thumbs, tears running down her face. I kept checking my phone, but I dared not too much because of low battery. I sat on my own, looked at my book without seeing a word, stared out of the window and at the chairs and things as if they had something magic to reveal why this was happening. I repeatedly touched the chair fabric, the window glass. It was real. It was solid. It was there, and I could sit here. I was sitting. I was okay. Things were okay. I'm safe here. I don't want to move. I don't want anything. I have to run away before they take me away, but I know I'm not going to. I want to go home. Not home now. Home yesterday. My expert assistant arrives. She is Asian, my age, dressed in cool, neat clothing that has a strange kind of cut to it, like a business suit, but one which is turning itself slowly into a summer dress. Everything about it, from the fabric to the shapes, goes both ways. It's cute. She has a black bob and wears pretty red framed glasses. Hi, I'm Bo. I don't want to talk. I don't want to, but I have to. Ellie. Ellie Fox. She smiled. And she looked so genuinely happy that it lifted my spirits. I moved my mouth into something like a smile. Here. Here. She held out a pair of glasses. These are lenses. They're what phones turned into. They do everything. These are set up for you. I took them and opened the arms. They had a black frame, rectangular, quite nice. But the glass looked clear. I mention, I don't see everyone wearing them. A lot of people go for contacts. Just try them on and let's see if they fit. Then we can set them up and you can make some calls or whatever you want to do. She was so friendly, I started to feel bad for being slow, clumsy, angry, scared. I felt like I should be on my guard, like this was enemy territory and they were suckering me into something. But my hands meekly put on the glasses. They were surprisingly light. "'Cute!' Beau declared, checking my ears. As her fingers touched the plastic, I felt something soft brush over my skin like a kind of fur from the glasses. Don't worry, it's the speakers. These are an old model, but it's all we could get at short notice. We? Special Ops. We're what used to be a part of the CIA until it got broken up into various arms. We're the arm that deals with emergencies affecting civilians. Really, it's more like tentacles, because there are eight of us, like an octopus. The emergency citizen's tentacle, she grinned. "'Oh, the emergency tentacle. I feel so secure.' "'But oddly, I did. "'All I saw and heard through the lenses was the same as before, but more blurred. "'I don't see... "'Forgot to switch them on,' Beau said, reproaching herself with a giggle, "'and touched the top of the rim with her finger. "'The room snapped into focus so sharp it made me gasp and fall back in my seat.' I felt myself clutching the armrests, my jaw flapping. I had never seen such detail, colour and light. Wherever I looked, my vision was razor sharp. If I dwelled on something, then, without seeming to zoom, it became larger, clearer. First of all, it gets used to your vision, Bo said, perched beside me, watching closely. Then we're going to set it to augment reality with whatever you want to see. Around me, everyone else was getting fitted too. Among the tears and the outbursts, there were little ohs and ahs and sniffles of relief. We were getting connected. People were kind and helping us. We might be all right. The kindness was weird, though. No getting over that. I'd been expecting suspicion and prison, really. Terror alerts, the fear of flying, the grim-faced security checking... How did we get from that to this? It felt unnatural. Now it'll do the sound check, Bo said, touching the rim again. An orchestra tuned up in magnificent Dolby-esque surround sound, rippling through my head from left to right and back again. Now when I looked at something, I could feel my hearing focus on it too. The background softening without being ruined. It was like ESP. "'Can everyone do this?' "'Oh, you can configure it however you want,' Bo said. "'A lot of people don't like the basic settings. "'They just want it within a normal range. "'They made it like that to show you what it can do.' "'Spy on people?' "'Of course,' she smiled. "'But you know, they can be set so that you can't spy on them "'and they can't spy on you. "'You've got enhancement, normal, and secrecy modes to play with.' "'How does it... does it work with everyone?' "'Everyone connected,' she clarified. "'You'll get some delays and outages depending on which AI is operating your network. "'They don't always sync fast enough since we had to be careful about the frequencies we were using, "'so the bandwidth is a bit short. "'Will my mum and dad be on it?' "'Yes,' she assured me. "'I can't imagine my mother wearing these glasses. "'Or I can.' She used to wear them for reading, and she kept thinking she'd lost them when they were on top of her head. She'd be the same with superglasses. How do I call someone? I was so desperate to hear her voice. If you're going to call home, you need to wait until I've had clearance from British tentacles, Beau said, her voice concerned, gentle. They need time to get your family informed and used to the idea of what's happened. Used to it, yeah. It happens every day. Just been in a time slip, Mum. Have you, dear? I had one the other day myself. Completely missed the dentist and Aunt Julie's bingo trip. Maddening, isn't it? The worst,
1: Mum. It's the worst. Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
0: In the year 2072, as our world reels from climate chaos, there is one beacon of hope. Pura. A sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetrio Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image. But beneath the facade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice. Loyalty or truth? Preservation or revelation? From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Doctor Death comes an electrifying new series, The Last City, starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado and Maury Sterling. prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wandry app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for an exclusive experience, join Wandry Plus to binge all episodes early and ad-free. The future of Pura awaits.
2: Has it, you know, happened before? I asked Bo, meaning the time jolt. Not to my knowledge, she said, shaking her head so that her curtain of jet black hair swung and brushed her shoulders... I felt myself softening towards her, leaning, her dark eyes so warm and sweet. Ugh, the crush feeling. Get a grip already, Ellie. I straightened up. Of course she'd know I'd been studying her hair, eyes, lipstick. How did anyone draw a line that perfect? I felt stupid, embarrassed, but she was talking as if nothing was going on. But there's no mistaking that your flight is the one that went missing 20 years ago. Everything matches, even the fuel grade. You know they don't use jet fuel anymore. Couldn't make enough to do a hoax if you wanted to. It's all batteries. And everyone on the passenger manifest is here, just like they were when they left Tokyo. Nothing's missing, not even the luggage. We're testing the onboard food to see if it's aged at all. But there is no sign of anything wrong, you'll be glad to know. Are you getting all that through your... I pointed at her glasses. Yes. I'm in constant update with everyone. And... there we go. We're cleared to get you connected with your friends and family, and to take you to your hotel, or where you would like to go. You are coming with me? I found that I wanted that nearly as much as I'd wanted to go home. Yes, I am. I will be accompanying you for a few days until you are back on your feet and used to the way everything is working. And this is a standard emergency... tentacle? No. This is for a very unusual emergency. But we always stay with people until they are ready to be independent again. It's part of our care and consideration protocol for trauma cases. Now, I am going to transfer contact information to your lenses. She looked at me intently for a moment, and a heads-up display of gentle green light appeared, as though hovering in mid-air in front of me. I need you to really want to make a call for a moment. Well, that wasn't hard, because I did. Excellent. Now, when you want to make a call, your contacts will appear, and you look at the one you want. When you want to get out of the phone mode, think of putting down the call. What? I thought. Then I started to ask... How does that even... I was scanning the list. It was just like the one on my phone, though a lot of the names were missing. Everyone's brain has a characteristic signal pattern for specific impulses, and the lenses just fix onto whatever that is and link it to their calling system. You can set it to anything, so let's say you start your phone up by always thinking of your pet. I bet all the men set it to boobs. "'Oh, God, why did I say that? "'And in my most contemptuous voice, too. "'Everyone will have heard me.' Beau gave me a sly wink. "'I know they do, but not for long, "'because otherwise they'd end up in phone mode all day long "'and they can't do anything else. "'So we set it to boring things in the end. "'Now we have many other things to set, "'so I'm going to quickly take you through what my lenses can do, "'and you will say yes or no, and I will set your lenses to do it.' You can fix them later to other things, of course. When you have more time, yes? We'll just do this to get you going. Uh, all right. Here we go. So, GPS track and map. Follow the trail of golden sparkles to your destination, avoiding all hazards, pedestrians, etc., etc. Yes, I say a bit excitedly. Thank goodness, no more getting lost. If I ever get anywhere to go again, this will be perfect. I am imagining going to a restaurant, with Beau sparkles at our feet. Mission wizard. Any item you want, this shows you where it is. So, let's say you want a Coke. I saw the sparkle trail shift in the air towards the corner of the room behind a potted palm. The palm became transparent, and behind it, a drink dispensing machine was illuminated with a glowing green outline. On its display, a red dot flashed to show me where to press. Holy shit. Yes. How do I tell it what I want? With your model, you will have to speak. You give your lenses a name and then say, John Doe, find Coke. But you didn't say it. I have the newest model. It knows I am doing a demonstration and it's on assistant mode. Just, let's get you started. So, give your lenses a name to use. Tamsy I think about our dog. Poor Tamsie. I miss her. Great! So you can see how to shop and get around? Money? There's no cash. The lenses will automatically pay anywhere if you have credit. Hmm. So there's no stealing? How do you even steal anything when payment is automated? What if I lose or break my lenses? Just get another pair at any store and the AI on the network will update them from your last cache. It does a local cache every ten seconds. Now, before I forget... Security. If you get weird behavior in the lenses, it's probably a cyber attack. We do have them now and again. When that happens, begin a purge by pressing the reset here and wait for it to reset. Can people steal my stuff? No, not really. They can copy images and other formatted single items off local caches sometimes. And they can not make you see things that aren't there, like ads and slogans. But it's so obvious when it happens. Just don't ever put the lenses onto total augment reality. Keep them transparent so you can still see the world yourself. If anything happens that you don't want, purge and reset. Reassuring, I guess. What if the AI goes down or goes mad? Another one will take over. We haven't had a significant outage in the last eight years since the AIs took over administrative tasks from human governance. Now, the last thing I'm giving you is my personal alert. This will highlight any areas you go into that are currently considered dangerous. So if you're out alone at night and you're walking in an area where some criminal activity or potential trouble is going on, you'll see. Let's pretend that the cabin crew are armed and dangerous. A red glow surrounded the remaining crew members. The people between us became transparent so that I could see everything the captain and the co-pilot were doing, even with furniture and all kinds of things between us. The sparkle suggested a U-turn. I heard a faint siren in my ears, like the Star Trek alarm call going off at the back of my head. You can set that yourself, too, so that if you even feel afraid of something, like a guy walking too close to you at night, his lenses will tell him you're worried and instruct him to back off. And if he doesn't? Then police tentacle gets into it. Beau grinned. The AI issues a warning, and if there's still no reaction, it dispatches a physical unit to intercept. So the AI can see everything every lens sees? That's true. Isn't that kind of... I didn't want to spoil her bubble or mine. I felt like it was a huge, strange witness, like God. How did people live with it? Creepy. Can be, but the AIs are only programmed to serve and protect. They're not like people. They don't see reality the way we see it at all. It doesn't affect them. What if they tell us all to kill each other? Been tried. The Jihad attack of 32 did not happen. The lenses have insufficient power to directly affect the brain. She tapped her forehead with her knuckles. Too thick. Of course you would say that. Beau smiled. I would, and I did. You can get upgrades to protect you from all kinds of other things, but for your model... I get it. I don't need a tinfoil hat. I've got the basic model. She giggled. <laughs> yes, and now I've had permission for you to make your calls. I looked around... I didn't know these people. I didn't want to be here when I broke down like a baby. Can I go to the hotel first? Sure. Beau smiled at me and patted my hand gently. I'll help you pick up your bags and take you right over. We walked together out of the lounge, following a softly sparkling trail of moats. There were some paparazzi. I guessed they took pictures, going by how intently they were looking, cocking their heads this way and that, like curious birds. I wasn't bothered. They were blued out, meaning they couldn't see my world at all. Could not send a message. Could not see what I was doing. Just regular me, passing in the regular way. I could blue everyone if I wanted. I blued everyone but Beau. For some reason... It made her feel closer that she had share permissions, even though she could have probably taken them. It was friendlier to give. I needed friendly too badly to care if she was trustworthy. Can I see the news? Sure, just ask. I... um... Tamsie, news. A voice sounded gently to the right of centre in my head. I am relaying you news by audio while you are walking. Here is the news. There are still few details emerging about the incredible appearance of ANA Flight 008 at San Francisco Airport today, although we have some pictures of those passengers who have so far been. News off. It stopped. I didn't want to see myself. Not as they would see me, as Beau must see me. A mess with red eyes and a scared expression. The bags came after us on a little wheeled cart that trundled all by itself. We went into the cool, water-fountain-filled concourse of the airport Hilton. There was no check-in desk, only a greeter who wished us well and told us about the daily specials. He was keen to sell the spa, but Beau waved him off. Then we went directly to the room. I couldn't get over how soft everything seemed – I even took off the lenses, but it was part of the building. All corners were moulded into curves, every edge smoothed, every line gentle, every colour mellow. The building felt like it was swaddling me, trying to comfort me, to help me feel safe and peaceful. I remembered the previous night's inebriated hysteria in the glass and chrome glare of a karaoke bar, staggering out, hanging onto Erica's arm because I felt guilty that I was abandoning them, gripping her hard in fury that she chose James and not me for that special someone, even though we were all special to each other. Special. I couldn't even say it straight. (laughs) Tokyo's neon glare had been spectacular in the rain, flashing, crashing from every surface, the traffic surging, stinking, food smells everywhere, happy, crazy people, wired, trying to escape it all and love it all at the same time. A sob escaped me, surprising me because I never show my feelings, definitely not the real ones, let alone make noises about them. Beau left me alone to make my calls, excusing herself to the next room, but assuring me that she was right there for anything if I needed her. Her hand on my arm squeezed gently, as if testing for strength as she waited for my nod to let her go. I sat on the edge of the bed, looking at the tattered, duct-taped filth of my backpack on the pristine carpet, and I didn't move. I took off the glasses, but then I felt scared and too alone, so I put them on again, the flashing green of my father's name written over the world. That was when I realised Mum's name wasn't there. There could only be one reason for that, couldn't there? But I couldn't call Dad. I wondered if he'd call me, or if they said not to. I wouldn't be able to ask, I... Tamsie's adopted English voice startled me. Reginald Fox is calling you. Nod to take the call. Shake your head to refuse the call. Dad had beaten me to it. I'd spoken to him last week, told him about the Shinto things we'd seen, some martial arts festival we'd tried to go to but got there too late to get in, the trains which he'd always wanted to ride... I sent him a little video of me filming through the train windows as mountains bent past in a blur. Some shots of the seats, the toilets, the station. Last week... I nodded, and my grandfather appeared before me, as if he were sitting across from me, our living room transported here in place of the hotel furniture. Dad had gotten so old... I cried and wailed for a long time before I could speak while he sat quietly and said, Oh, really, over and over, happy and sad at the same time. A couple of days later, Beau and I went on a final tour of the city before I was due to return to England. I was nearly run over a couple of times by the silent cars, but the trams were fun rattling up and down the streets like they used to. At first, I didn't like the idea of being overseen. Every pane of glass could be a camera, a speaker, a screen, and the AI system supervised everything. I could even see the number of people on the streets carrying concealed weapons, and the weapons hidden in their holsters or bags... Every armed person was part of the law, a volunteer, able to be notified within seconds if there was a lethal threat to some person nearby. They were outnumbered by unarmed guardians who moved in silver linings ready to assist anyone in need. Guardian became my favourite app. You could switch yourself off and on at any time to show you were ready for active duty. People in need of help were flagged to you by the AI if it chose you for the job. It made the world seem full of knights. I was shocked at the number of guns, but when I turned off that function of the lenses, which displayed all this status, I was struck by the confidence and the friendliness of the gazes I met on the street. It was as though they had lost all worry or fear of what anyone was thinking or doing. I was used to the London Underground avoidance scheme, where making eye contact with a stranger was akin to playing with a hand grenade so I found it too difficult myself. I played with the functions of the connection, giving bunny ears to people who liked the same things I liked and devil horns to people with opposing views and a hundred other tiny, silly adjustments to my vision. We stopped at a restaurant and ordered sandwiches, those ridiculously over-the-top kind only Americans can make, with 50 ingredients managed into a tower. I asked about the green buildings and I got a whole presentation on how duckweed had been adapted to coat all concrete surfaces, filtering rainwater to drinking water as it ran down into collectors. The weed was busy soaking carbon, while the glass stored the sun's energy and watched, watched, watched. Other plants produced drugs, and free fruit trees were on every corner. The air was clearer. That city tang of diesel and sulphur was quite gone. You could smell the sea. Beau tried to tell me about all the changes there were, but there were so many. I didn't understand why anyone would agree to so much surveillance, but she said it was because no humans were doing it, only machines that kept peace and order. They didn't care why or for whom. They saw all, but were blind, as impersonal as only a machine could be. I wasn't sure. When I left 2020... The kind of people who would have been in charge of those things were the kind of people you wouldn't trust to supervise a church bake sale. But even after three days, I'd already got used to it. I loved the lenses. They were fun. I wished my mother could have seen it. I told this to Beau, and then the sad, sorry story of my departure from Tokyo. As I related it, even with some adjustment... I couldn't help feeling that I was a complete ass. Everything coming out of my mouth revealed that the only person I ever thought about was myself. I really wanted to tell my mother that. She'd have laughed at me. She knew I was an absolute ass, and she still loved me. I know because Dad said so. I missed her so much, I felt like I could crumple up and die. Beau put up with me very well... I guess she was an expert at that. I flew out of the airport on one of the giant mantas. I was afraid. Many of us were. Because last time we did this, we lost and gained too much. I attached my lenses to their new neck strap and watched the city get smaller until the clouds ate it. I'm going. Going somewhere I don't know, but do know. I want to believe, Bo and see how much better things are. But it's too soon to tell for me. On board, we few old passengers of the TARDIS flight have a little reunion party and talk about everything we've seen. I don't care about anything from before. I feel it leaving me as the sky outside the windows becomes that perfect blue. I hear that the seas are free from plastic, but struggling to recover from fishing... The overpopulation is still here and is the worst crisis facing humanity now, even though everyone has water. Lenses aren't everywhere, even though they're free. There are backwater states that want to keep things the old way when humans made all the decisions and did all the thinking. People are still fighting, still angry, still trying to make things fair, still trying and failing a billion things a day. But to me, it feels better. The lenses show me where my old friends are and we send notes and then we talk and I marvel at their grey hairs and they shriek over my age and soon we forget we're years apart. Soon I'm looking forward to seeing England again actually, even though the degree I was going to get in law is obsolete now. I want to do something positive, like civil engineering or medicine. I want to find a way to be useful and make my mother proud. When I land, I haven't lost 20 years. I've gained them. I run to meet my father, and for the rest of my life, the hundreds of clips of that moment, where we hurtle into each other like guided missiles and hold on tight, become the montage for a civilian peace movement which works for the acceptance of people with different views across cultures and generations. Reconciliation. Erica and James often send it to me as a joke because it's so much the opposite of everything that I was only days before. They have two kids. I'm a time-travelling godmother. Mother who?
1: There's worse futures than that. Eleven stories. One thread. This is but one of the possible futures. That was Gap Year by Justina Robson, performed by Maura Quirk. This episode was directed and produced by Mark Holden, edited by Seth Alansky, and designed by Neil Woganson at The Invisible Studios. Season 2 of Dust is brought to you in partnership with XPRIZE, designing and operating multi-million dollar global competitions to accelerate the development of technological breakthroughs that benefit humanity and ana all nippon airways flight zero zero eight is co-produced with eric desatnik dust is produced by stephen michael and margaret laney at gunpowder and sky
0: in the year 2072 as our world reels from climate chaos there is one beacon of hope purer a sanctuary amidst the devastation, safeguarding its inhabitants from the relentless onslaught of environmental disasters. Meet Demetria Lopez, the face of Pura's pristine image. But beneath the façade lies a chilling truth. When Demetria uncovers a secret that could shatter everything Pura stands for, she faces a choice. Loyalty or truth? Preservation or revelation? From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Doctor Death, comes an electrifying new series, The Last City. Starring the talents of Rhea Seahorn, Jenny Tirado, and Maury Sterling, prepare for a gripping tale of intrigue and moral reckoning. Subscribe to The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you listen to podcasts, and for an exclusive experience, join Wondery Plus to binge all episodes early and ad-free. The future of Pura awaits.